Well, hello again, everybody. This week, we had the awesome opportunity to do Bible Camp. Show of hands, how many of you guys got to be there, right? Awesome, fun stuff. Yeah, lots of really great stuff happened. We had over 90 kids at Bible Camp, which is awesome. Yeah, we'll probably just be clapping for the next couple minutes. Over 50 volunteers were there, and biggest part right here, four salvations. Four kids said yes to Jesus for the first time, which is awesome. We also had three human Sundays as well because all the kids raised their, we met their goal for raising the money for Backham and for the Ziggenhorns. And man, that looks pretty disgusting, I'm going to be honest. I'm glad I wasn't in the pools with them. That was pretty gross. But it was a blast of a week. Thank you for those of you that were involved in a part of that. It was really fun to be uh, doing that. Today, this morning, we're jumping onto our series and finishing it off, Jesus in Between. We've been looking at Jesus in between Christmas and Easter because often we know Jesus at both of those events, but what is he like in between? Sometimes we see Jesus as the relative that we only see once or twice a year. We don't really know how they live throughout the rest of the time. We don't see them, and sometimes we can see that with Jesus. And so that's why we did this series. We want to look at him uncensored, unedited, and see what his life is in between those two days. And when we look at that, we're looking at, hey, what is he like? What is he doing? What does he talk about? What does he teach about? What are these different stories that we can learn about Jesus to give us a fuller picture of who he is, to understand this guy that we want to follow? Who is it? What does he do? What are the rhythms of his life? Have you guys ever looked at someone else's life and noticed the rhythms uh, in their life? You notice the consistencies, the things they do on a regular basis, whether that's like driving to work, you always see the same car, like, hey, weirdo is always driving the same route. Oh, wait, so do I, right? I hope so. That's the rhythm is going on the same route to work every day. You're like, oh, I know the rhythm. Or maybe it's the cashier or the person working at the store. You always see them Monday night when you go get your groceries because like, oh, well, that, that's their schedule. That's when they work. They work Monday night, and that's your rhythm to go and go to the store then. I used to work at a, uh, a pool, and that is probably the best place to not only people watch, but also like to see people's rhythms. Like it was always the same 10 people in line when we opened the pool in the morning at like five o'clock, same 10 people waiting to get in the pool. They always got in the exact same lanes that they always swam in, always the same, the exact same length. Like they knew that it was, that was the rhythm. That was what they did, right? And so we not only see rhythms in people, right? We see it all over the place. One of the you know, easiest places we see it, I think, is in our family, right? We get to live with them. We get to see them day in and day out and know how they live, whether that's, oh, well, they always got to take a shower in the morning or they always have to have tea before bed, whatever it is. We know their rhythm. And one of the uh, rhythms that sticks out for me with my family is my mom. Every morning, without fail, we would get up and we would see her sitting on the couch, sitting outside with her Bible. And with her cup of coffee, of course. Always had coffee, and she always had her Bible. Right? That was something we always, especially we were get, we'd be waking up for school, you know, getting up a little bit earlier, and she'd be there sitting, reading the Word, right? getting into her devotions, right? just sitting with Jesus. We saw that day in and day out. And so we'd come out, we maybe would like lay on the couch or whatever, interrupt her or whatever. Eventually, all of us start scraggling. I have four siblings, so all five of us have ended up coming out, and she'd get us all ready for school, get us breakfast made. She'd stop what she was doing and help us get breakfast, help us get lunch packed, everything, and then send us out. And she would always say, walk with the king and be a blessing. Something I remember to this day, and I still use to this day. Walk with the king and be a blessing. Right? That was part of our rhythm. Sent us out with those rhythms, right? 
And so we see it in people, we see it in our family, we also see it in life too. Rhythms are a thing of our nature, right? It's part of who we are. Think of like a professional sports game, right? Specifically like baseball. What song at the beginning of every game? National anthem, right? And usually with baseball, there's usually a first pitch, right? And then you kind of have your innings that always begin and end in the same way, right? And then you have a seventh inning stretch, and there's usually some weird race by costume to people. It's kind of strange, but we always do it, right? And then there's always, you know, the finish of the game, right? There's all these, these rhythmic things to the way that those games go, right? There's a cadence, a, a natural rhythm of things. Even think of your favorite TV show, right? You're thinking of a TV show right now, right? And they always, they always start out with this, like, beginning clip of, like, you know, the, the series or whatever you're in, and they always play that catchy tune that's, like, that's your TV show tune, whatever. When you thought of your favorite show, that's what started playing in your head right now, right? They always have that, that repetition. Then, then they build up the story, right? And they, they, something happens to the main character, something usually pretty bad, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Keeps you engaged, climax. And it's always that when that happens, is there's commercials happen right at the climax points, unless you're watching on Netflix or Hulu, which is a blessing we didn't have back in the day, right? I'm not that old, but you know what I mean. And then also, eventually, they'd end on a cliffhanger, right? Getting you to watch the next show. Now we can binge them on Netflix, but usually you had to wait a week until you got there. Right? They, they had a rhythm to how they did their TV shows, and there's a rhythm to life that we see all around us, and people, and life, and a lot of things that we do. That's part of who we are as humans. We're wired to live in rhythm, to have consistencies, to find meaning in repetition. And so uh, a guy named, by the name of Jeff Bethke, uh, he's a, a, an author, a pastor, I say a theologian as well, and he has a podcast called Creating New Rhythms in a New Story, um, and I want to share some things from that uh, later today, but this is how he defines rhythms in that podcast. He says, there are things you do on a consistent basis that inject your life with meaning or story. Consistent things we're doing that inject our life with meaning or story. So we're wrapping up this Jesus in-between in series. And what we're going to do is we're going to step back a little bit. We've been looking at some of these specific stories of Jesus, these specific teachings. And what we're going to do is we're going to look back and say, hey, looking at kind of an overview of Jesus' life, kind of looking at the four Gospels, what are his rhythms? What are these things that he does on a consistent basis that kind of have meaning and, and, and are wrapped around a story? What are those things for Jesus? And here's the key, though. Here's the linchpin. To have a rhythm, right, you look at what? Sheet music, right? You have music that you're reading. And so in order to have rhythms like Jesus and to understand what rhythms he has, we have to look at the sheet music that he's following, right? He's not just some random rhythm stuff, this health guru that's like, here's the top 10 things you need to do to live better, make your life more healthy, whatever. He, that's not what he's doing. The rhythms and dynamics of his life are based in his mission or his music from God. And so in the same way, our rhythms aren't for no reason, nor are they the center of the Christian life. Right? We've got to be careful with that. They're not about doing all these different things, spiritual disciplines and rhythms. They're not about doing those. That's all that Christianity is about, because ultimately it comes from the heart. The rhythms are simply an outpouring of our mission, an outpouring of our heart, what Christ has already done inside of us. And you'll see, we'll unpack that here as we go. Because when we look at our our, our sheet music, our, when we look at our rhythm, we can see what music we're actually reading. We can see it the reverse way as well. 
If we're hurried, preoccupied, spending all our time and energy on, on a job we don't like, uh, spending on things we can't afford, uh, to impress people we don't even like, we have these rhythms of busyness, comfort, overwork, anxiety. If those are our rhythms, our sheet music is probably status, comfort, someone's approval, or even the American dream. And so when we look at Jesus, we look at his rhythms, we want to see the sheet music that he's reading. And time and time again, we saw all throughout our Jesus in Between series, we saw he had all these interruptions, all these things happen to him, all this stuff that tried to push him off of his mission, and he stayed straight the whole time. He's like, no, this is why I came. This was my purpose. This was my mission. This is the music I'm reading and the rhythm I'm dancing to. I'm going to throw, we're going to go through a bunch of different verses, so you guys don't have to follow us along exactly. We'll have them on the screen, um, but this kind of gives us a snapshot of what sheet music Jesus was reading, so to say. You guys can write the references down. There's plenty others as well uh, that talk about uh, Jesus' mission, but I want to give you guys a few, talk about those for a little bit. So Luke 19.10 is the first one. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. He's like, I came for the lost people. He's like, that's why I came. That's my purpose. I came to seek them out and then to save them as well. All wrapped up in his, his, his purpose, his mission. And then to Pilate, he says this, John 18, 37. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He's, and Pilate's like, well, truth? Well, what is truth, right? It's theological, philosophical question or whatever. He's like, no, no, like, I came to testify about the truth, about God, about who I am. That's why I came. And he also remarks, Mark uh, 10, 45, uh, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another thing, hey, this is why I came. Most rulers came and did what? Pressed people, right? They're like, no, you're going to serve me. Are you, you're lifting up me and my kingdom. Jesus is like, no, no, I, I have a different way I run my kingdom. And that's what he says, my purpose, I'm, I came to serve. I came to serve people. That was part of my purpose. And then I gave my life away. That was part of my purpose, my mission. John 10.10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That I, they may have what real life is. Not any fake stuff, but real life. And finally, the last one, regarding his call to the cross, specifically, he says, John 12, 27 through 28, he says, it was for this very reason I came to this hour talking about the cross, dying on the cross. Father, glorify your name. He came to die. He knew what his purpose was the whole time. None of that was a surprise. He always stayed true to his mission. This was the music he was dancing to. And so if you're taking notes, this is how I would write it down. It says, the rhythms of Jesus' life were playing to the music, mission, and calling that God the Father had laid out for him. And so we see the sheet music that he was dancing to, right? That was his purpose, his mission, his calling. So what did his rhythms look like? And that's what I want to spend some time looking at today. Jesus in rhythms. Look at his rhythms and then what they mean for our life today as well. But before we look at the specific ones that, that kind of Jesus walks through, and I know we got four Gospels, so we're not going to be able to walk through all those and see every single instance. If you have some more time on your own and you would like to read through those, I think that's a great study. Look at the consistencies in Jesus' life that we see throughout the Gospels. Now, we don't have an exact day-to-day -day record of what Jesus' days were and everything, but we do have a lot of record of Jesus' life that we can look through and see the rhythms in his life. 
Okay. The first two things I want to actually cover before we jump into that, there's two challenges, two tensions we have to manage. First is our concept of time. Our concept of time. Two concepts we're going to like. Concept of time, concept of identity. Here's the first one. Concept of time. So first there's this, this Eastern view of time. Think of it like a circle. Right? It's like a circle, right? It just kind of goes around, comes around, and it just, there's no moving forward, right? It just, there's no beginning, middle, end. It just, it keeps happening again and again and again. It's really clear in reincarnation, Buddhism, Hinduism. Right? We kind of see that in those areas. Think of it like Groundhog Day, right? He plays the exact same day over and over. It drives him nuts. Like there was no, he couldn't move forward from that day. Time's repetitive, right? It doesn't advance. The problem with this one is it leads to passive existing. It leads to passive existing. So that's the first view of time. The second is the Western view of time. It's still on that page. There we go. Think of it like a straight line, right? Beginning, middle, end. This is probably one we're most familiar with, right? Beginning, middle, end. And so the problem with this one, though, we'll get right to it, at the macro level, it leads to a life of endless doing. Endless doing is what it leads to. We have to do more, be more, get more. There is no kind of rhythm. There's no repetition. It's just go forward, do more, get more, be more, right? That's the focus. This is actually the picture of burnout, right? We're actually one of the cultures that struggle with this the most. You see high levels of depression, anxiety, Suicide all, I think, comes back to our view of time. The thing is, this actually is a new problem. It's really a new view of time, because time wasn't always looked at this way. Think about it. So kind of back, it was actually around the 1800s. Um, think of trains, right? So they'd set off a train from one location, but trains only have the one track, right? And they built the one track all the way, but they'd have like merging points. They started having trains running into each other at those points because there was no global scale of time, right? No, no unified section knowing, oh yeah, it's this time in this day. They couldn't whip out their phone and be like, what's the time zone over here, right? They didn't have that at that point. And so that's when this whole global time zone was invented, when trains started hitting each other and like, okay guys, we need to fix this, this is getting expensive, right? That's when they invented it. It's really a new problem that we kind of have come up with. It was a new thing that our culture is wrestling with. So here's my question. Which one of those do you think is more biblical? They both have a problem, though, don't they? Trick question. Neither are the biblical view of time. Sorry, I set you up for failure there. There's a third one, and I would say this is the biblical view of time. It's a spiral right? A spiral, right? So it's still moving forward, but it's cyclical. It's, it's rhythmic in nature, but still moving forward. The thing about this one is it leads to progressive being. Leads to progressive being. Not endless doing or worthless living, right? It was, it's progressive being. So the natural question that comes to our mind is, well, which one am I living in? Which one am I living in? Jeff Bethke in that podcast, he, he says it this way, he says, we aren't stewarding a life that has a beginning, middle, and end, but we're actually stewarding a series of prescribed rhythms that repeat over and over again until we die. And we can get to improve them incrementally over time. And think of that spiral moving forward. And that actually is like the Christian life, right? The theological word for it is sanctification, right? Sanctification, right? We're getting a little bit better each day. When we say yes to Jesus, it's not like, all right, said yes, I'm done, don't need that anymore. 
It's saying yes to Jesus to a life of becoming more and more like him. Little bit after little bit, the more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. And so over time, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what it means. That's what that looks like in our view of time. So that's the first one. First concept and thing we needed to wrestle through is our concept of time. First challenge. Second is our concept of identity. Concept of identity. So not only do we live in this world that's telling us we need to do more, be more, and get more, but we're also wrestling with this idea of identity. We're actually the most, one of the most meaningless cultures in the world. Most meaningless culture in the world. We struggle and have such a shallow view of this rooted social cultural identity. That's actually what the Enlightenment set out to do to cut all strings, to be able to say, no, we don't want any limits. We want to be able to do what we want to do, nothing telling us who we are or what I should be doing. In the process of that, we cut off all of our meaning as well, resulting in a meaningless culture. So not only that, we cut out that, but we also, one of the only cultures that have no rites of passages, right? no rites of passages, which is like whether it's becoming of age, right? moving from a teenager on, or becoming a man, becoming a woman, right? All these other cultures have one, but we don't. And we can kind of see the effect of that as we have grown men living in their, and women, living in their parents' basement, playing video games for their life because they weren't told that they could move on, right? They were doing that as a job or whatever, whatever they're trying, that's how they define themselves because we didn't say, hey, this is who you are, this is what you can do, you can now move on. Hey, you're now a man, you're now a woman, move on. We didn't give them that. So in relation to this idea of identity and rootedness, Jeff Bethke then looks at the uh, two cultures, um, the Amish and the Jewish. And we're just going to look at the Jewish for our purposes today. Uh, but this is pretty interesting. Do you know what the retention rate is for Jewish people? So that's retention rate is if uh, someone grew up in the Jewish home, uh, what is the rate? How many of them stay in the faith after they grow up and are moving out of the house, moving on to their own? What percentage of them hang around? That's what retention rate is. What do you think that is? 90, 80, yeah, some pretty high answers. 95 to 97%, you guys are onto it. They have a high retention rate, it's one of the highest. The Amish are the exact same number, 95 to 97%. It's actually, it was funny, the thing is when Amish don't stick around, it's so rare that it happens, they make a TV show about it, right? And they're just like, whoa, whoa, this is crazy, they're not staying around. But the point is, hey, that's a high retention rate. Here's the sad part though. What do you think it is for Western evangelicals? Probably not 80 or 90, right? 50, 35, 40, 20%. 20%. After all the time and energy and resources we pour into loving on kids and, and doing what we can, right? Eight out of 10 of them say, nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't want Jesus. This is a huge fact for me because I actually get to work with our students. Uh, so that's something I'm like, okay, how can we change that? What are we doing wrong? How can we change that? Because uh, I think initially we may think we should just kind of maybe cut off some limits. We should give them more freedom to believe in the, say, hey, well, we don't, we don't want to give them, make them do certain things. We won't want to force them to do this or whatever it is in our minds. We have this reverse thinking. Well, if we, if we give them more freedom here, then maybe they'll want to stay and hang around, right? But it actually has been having the opposite effect. 
And can we be honest, if eight out of 10 students, kids, where, when are they raised up and they, if eight out of 10 of them are saying, nah, I'm good, maybe we should be trying something else. Maybe we should look in, into something else, something different. So Jeff Bethke actually goes on in his talk to talk about the impact of the Jewish people. So uh, they make up about 0.2%, 0.2% of the population, okay? That's like 15 million, I think, out of 7 billion people, right? Do we have any statics, st statics, statistics people? I don't know, there's a T in there. Statistics people out there, numbers people like numbers, right? So we know 0.2%. Can we just say that that is, that's a hard word to say, guys, okay? Statistically insignificant number, right? 0.2% should have no effect on the other 99. 8%. See that math there? Yeah. Not my strong suit. But right, there should be, that's just, just it's insignificant, okay, that, that that small of a number should have an impact on the rest of the world. What percentage of the Nobel Prize, all categories, what do you think is the percentage are Jewish? 30 to 40% are Jewish. What about the Pulitzer Prize? People, best people with words, okay? What percentage are Jewish? 25 to 30%. What about patents? Things we invent, right? I think you're getting the trend here. Percentage is 40 to 50%. By every measure, they are completely disproportional to the impact that they have on the world versus how many, many they are. So much so, this isn't a new thing that we just found out, right? There's been millions and millions of dollars poured into figuring out why. Clearly they're making an impact, something they're doing is right. The people that they're raising are making an impact on the world. They're doing something right. So millions of dollars from scientists, psychologists, you name it, every branch has tried to study what the reason is for this impact that they're making on the world. It's, it's actually pretty cool. They all come up with the same answer, okay? Here's what it is. No one in all of culture or human history has a higher view of rhythms that form and minister an identity formed around a story than Jewish people today. Oh, rhythms, there it is, rooted in a story. And that story is all one we know. It's of God coming and chasing after people. He set those rhythms up for them. So this leads us to ask the question, well, what would it look like if we lived in the rhythm that God designed for us? In the rhythms that Jesus demonstrates for us? What would it look like? So I want to take some time. Those are the two tensions we walked through concept of time and identity. And now I want to look at these rhythms of Jesus. There's going to be tons of them. We're not going to be able to call all of them or look at everything, too. We're going to throw them up on the screen so you guys can follow along there, uh, and we'll kind of go through those, okay? Here we go. Mark 1.35 is the first one. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Right? Early in the morning, getting up, praying, going to the Father, the person that would give him his sheet music, basically, right? He went and spent time with the person giving him mission and giving him purses. That was a clear rhythm of his. We see that time and time again, that he was given that time to his, his music giver, basically, right? That's a rhythm we see with Jesus. Next one, Luke 6, 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. 
So not just in the morning, but he went all night, right? The cool thing after this, if you keep reading, um, he makes this really huge decision after this. He chose the 12 disciples, 12 apostles that would form the pillars of the church. So before this huge decision, he was praying. He was with God, with the person, giving him wisdom and guidance and being there saying, I'm, I'm with you. I want to be with you. Clearly, it was a big deal. Mark 6, 45 through 46 says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. After uh, service last, uh, this morning, um, someone came up and said, like, well, the word of them that I noticed was Jesus went, kept going to mountainsides. And I was like, yes, but there was actually a good point to that. He was out in nature a lot. He was out in creation, going out and being with God alone and with him. And in this one, right, the, the disciples start to see and notice that prayer was a big deal to him. They saw the power. They saw the influence. They saw the, the priority it was in the life of Jesus. So eventually, a little bit later, they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Clearly, you're doing something. It's right. You, we want to pray like you. So what, do we, what did he end up giving us? Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Give us the Lord's Prayer. Clearly, prayer was a huge part of his rhythms. Luke 9.28, it says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he's predicting his death, says he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Again, there's that mountain, right? I thought this was interesting. It seems like a mini retreat kind of with his closest followers, the people that were closest to him. He took Peter, James, and John, his closest disciples, said, hey, come with me. We're going to pray. We're going to go to be together. We're going to be with God together. If I think when they're up there, what happens? It's the transfiguration. They get to see Jesus in a different light than they hadn't before because they're with other believers together spending time with God. Interesting. Interesting rhythm. Uh, last one we're going to look at, uh, Mark 14, 12 through 31. It's actually a whole passage. Uh, we won't spend time going through it, but the passage is the Last Supper. Right? They all gather in an upper room, and they actually are celebrating Passover together. So Jesus, first of all, he sets up communion. That's the first communion, right? He sets it up, something that we practice as a rhythm today. So he not only gives us a rhythm in that, but he's also celebrating one of the Jewish festivals, right? They're celebrating that, which is a rhythm of that culture. And so it makes sense that he's probably celebrating all the other festivals as well, which gave him more of that rhythm for his life. And those weren't just random holidays, right? They didn't celebrate bunnies with eggs. I don't know if there's a connection to Easter somehow to that. I don't know. But they, we didn't have random. We, we have the weirdest holidays today. Like, oh, it's cake day. Do you know that? Or it's pie day, right? They had festivals that had meaning and purpose. And it all starts in creation. All these rhythms for life start in creation. Check it out. Genesis 1, all throughout the verse, really. But we're going to look at two of them. Five. First, starting in verse 5, it says, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Then there was evening and there was morning the first day. Later in verse 8, God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And the third day, evening, morning. Third, we could go on and see all these different days had a daily rhythm. That's the first thing that Jesus is setting up, in, or that God's setting up in creation, is a daily rhythm. Right? Evening and morning, boom. Evening, morning, next day, boom. You know what's interesting about that? How does the day start? 
evening. It starts with nighttime. It starts with rest before we get into all the work of the day. Fascinating. So that's the first thing. Daily we see in creation. We see this daily rhythm that God is, is weaving into creation. More than that, Genesis 2, 2, right? By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing so that on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So we have daily and now we have a weekly rhythm that God is weaving into creation, right? He didn't rest because he was tired. He rests to set a pattern for us, to set a rhythm, to give us an example So this was the last day for God, but what day was it for man? First day, right? Man was created on the sixth day, and his first day in creation is rest, enjoying God, enjoying his presence, and enjoying what he created. Interesting. So there's daily, weekly, and and further on, right, he gives the people his feasts, right? He calls them his. So in Leviticus 32, or 23, Flip that around. 23, verse 2, he says this. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. Right? They're from him. The appointed festivals are of the Lord, which, are you, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. So we have daily, weekly, and now yearly rhythms that he gives to his people. And now these festivals, they actually line up back at that time. They were an agriculture area, right, where they took care of crops and seasons and they just looked at uh, the planting and, and, and harvesting. Like that was the rhythm of their culture was already taking care of those things. And so those festivals actually line up with that. And that's why they don't always fall in the same time as our calendar this year. We went on a different calendar than they do. But they all line up with their festival uh, agriculture culture and help them celebrate and praise God for the harvest and, and the different things that are celebrated in that it gave them rhythm. It gave them that rootedness and identity that then helps them make such a huge impact in the world. It gave them that Jewish sense of identity. And I'm not saying we need to all go do the Jewish festivals. They're interesting, and I encourage you to at least check them out. But there's more to it than that. We're rhythmic creatures, and God, we could say that God is playing a music in the world, and we're to dance to his rhythm. How weird would it look if someone is just dancing way off rhythm, right? They're not listening to the same song, apparently. It actually looks like me on a wedding floor, I'm going to be honest, right? I just love getting out there and just having fun, but I just don't always follow the same rhythm of this. You, just, you guys know what I mean? It's like the, even though the ones that tell you the directions to go, I'm like doing my own thing. There's a rhythm in my head, guys, and I'm just flowing to it, right? But the point is, right, it looks weird. You're like, okay, they're not dancing to the right song. It looks weird. I think it's the same thing with our life. It looks weird when we're not dancing to the rhythm that God has wired inside of us. So it gets me to question this week as I was looking at it. I was like, well, what rhythm are we dancing to? What's our sheet music? What are our rhythms telling about our lives? Because the thing is, we are rhythmic creatures, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're listening to God's song or we're dancing to his rhythms. We actually already have daily, weekly, and yearly rhythms. Whether we realize it or not, it's already happening. The thing is, companies are really good at doing this. It's crazy how, how good and hooked they get us on those things, right? Apple, for example. What's the, the first thing you do in the morning, right? First thing you do is you grab your phone, right? You grab your phone. It's also the last thing you're doing as well. 
in the night. You're like, oh, whether it's emails or, or checking your sleep patterns when you woke up, whatever. We're always grabbing our, our phone first thing and last thing in the day. They have our, our daily rhythm down. They got us. Speaking to myself, too, this was a challenge for me this week. I was like, yeah, totally. And weekly as well, right? They got us on the product, productivity side of things, working us throughout the week. We have, we have emails that we can answer, calls we can make, texts, calendars. We can do all that on our phone, right? We're using that during the week, and we're also using it on the weekend as well because we have entertainment apps like Netflix, Hulu, games, anything we want to use to entertain ourselves is also there. They got us on the weekly grind as well. And yearly, what do they always come out with? New products, their keynote, right, where they talk about all the different things they're coming out with, and like whether it's a watch, whether it's a, a AirPods or an iPad, whatever it is, they're always coming out with something new and a new version every year. And what's funny is sometimes people will camp out for that, which actually sounds a lot like the Festival of Booths, a rhythm that God wanted us to celebrate. We're celebrating it in the wrong way. We have rhythms. We are rhythmic creatures, but are we following the rhythm God has for us? So in this series, right, I'm kind of ending it here. We've got a couple minutes left. We've been going through this series, Jesus in between. When we look at the life of Jesus in between Christmas and Easter, I would say we can see him in one of three ways. One of three ways. We can see him as a religion. It's the first thing as a distant, impersonal thing that people just do. It's like, well, it's for them. They need that. Like, I'm okay. Uh, religion is just for them. They just do things, you know. That's what all that rhythm stuff, they're just doing things. Um, and I don't need that. I don't need a religion. That's all it is anyways, right? The thing is, Christianity is different from every other religion because God died so that he could be reunited with mankind so that they could be saved out of the mess that they're in. No other religion says that. And the point is, the importance is the relationship, not the religion. It's not just about what you do. It's who did it and who we can be with. That relationship is the key. So we can first see it as a religion. I challenge you to see it different than that. But the second way that we can see it is as a resource. As a resource. Let me explain this one. This is actually how I uh, grew up seeing God. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, fantastic home, great upbringing. We, I knew the truths of the Bible. I knew who Jesus was, knew how to follow him, what to do, but I treated him as a resource, something that I could pull off my shelf and use when I thought I needed him. I was like, oh, well, I, I'm struggling with this. Let me figure out, okay, well, now I'm done. I'll put him back on the shelf. I had parts of my life I didn't want him to be in. Parts of my life I was like, I, I don't need him. I can leave him on the shelf. Let me just live this part of my life the way I want to. Okay, well, now I'm ready. Let me access him for a little bit. Okay, cool. Let me put him back on the shelf. Keep doing my own thing. We had our momentum trip for our high schoolers a couple weeks ago. Fantastic trip. Um, but our theme verse of the week was this. 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So our senior pastor, uh, Jeff Bogue, actually a senior pastor of all of Grace Churches, uh, always speaks on the last night. Super cool. It does a great job wrapping up the week and kind of sending the kids home to challenge them not just to leave what they learned there 
but to take it home. And so he homed in on the word always, always. And so he said that to always do something, you not only practice it, you make it your default. It's not just something you know and do sometimes, it's something that you automatically do all the time, always. Always means always. So he likened it to, to like learning plays and sports, uh, learning your lines in theater, um, or, or your, your music for band, right? So you learn those things so that when you know, the pressure gets on you, right, you're getting up on the stage or you're, you're getting out there, the teams are, are going head to head so that you lean into your practice, you lean into the plays you did, the lines you know, the music you know, so that becomes your always, that that's what you know how to play and how to do. Many of you know I, uh, I got to play soccer in high school. And uh, it was a great high school. I uh, went to CVCA, Christian school, and um, loved it. They had a fantastic soccer program. They're actually really known for their soccer program. And uh, because of great, because of two things. First, because it, it teaches us how to be great and always responding the right way for soccer, right? You always know how to play well. They always come out with great players, and they do a great job of teaching us how to be always be great players at soccer. Like that was really good. They were really good at doing that. But not only that, but also preparing us to always be ready to give the reason that we have. They were preparing us as Christians as well, Christian soccer players. That's what they were trying to do, prepare us for both of those, to always be ready. However, there was one game. Um, it was actually one of those rival games, right, where you guys have those rivals where don't know where it comes from. There's just this dislike you have of the other team, and it's just like, oh, we're going to whoop them today. Like, we just want to take them down. It's like, oh, I want to kill them, right? You're like, I don't know where this comes from, right? It's just it's always been there for some reason. But there's this rival team. You're like, all right, we're going to take them down no matter what, right? And so it was just one of our rival teams, and we're getting amped up. We're like, oh, we're going to take them down. We're killing them. They're like, oh, we're going to take them down. We're going to kill them. And it's like, all right, here we go. Let's take them out, guys. We're a team. Stay together. Let's beat them up, right? And we're like, well, we're not really beat them up, but you know what I mean. So they're get, we're getting into it. They're getting into it. Our crowds were getting into it, right? The game's going on. They're getting, they're like, woo, woo, booing, cheering. Like, it's, oh, it's going crazy. It's loud. It's, we're getting into the game, okay? Scoring left and right. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, You know, all these different things. It's, it's getting pretty lively, right? Almost as excited as Ben gets leading worship up here, right? It was getting into it. And so my buddy scores a goal. It's a beautiful goal, a great goal, and we're all amped up, right? We're like, yes, right. We're like running up to him, ready to like, we usually like tackled each other, which was a bad idea. We injured someone one time just because we were too excited. But we're like running toward him like, I don't know what's going to happen. We may kill him. But he runs past us, runs over to the, the opposing audience. They're booing, yelling, whatever. He shushes them, which is like, okay, that's funny, right? It's like, okay, he just shushes them. And we're all just kind of like, ooh, uh-oh. Because the biggest word on his shirt was Christian. It was CVCA, Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy. And so we were going head to head facing this team. And when they looked at him, they saw him. Yeah, you guys are playing great, but they saw a Christian, someone that follows Jesus, shushing the crowd, telling them what to do, not taking it. We weren't always ready. When the pressure came, we fell under that pressure and resulted to our own prideful natures of, oh, yeah, look at us. We got this, right? That's what we resorted to. We weren't always ready. We may have had the soccer part down, but we missed 
being ready for Jesus. And we failed. I tell that story to say this. To make Jesus our always, he can't just be a resource. He has to be our rhythm. And that's the third thing that we can see him as. Whether it's a religion, a resource, finally, I encourage you guys to see him as your rhythm. Your rhythm. So I was asking myself this question this week. Is he a resource sitting on your shelf, or is he your rhythm setting the tempo for your life? Is he a resource sitting on your shelf, or is he your rhythm setting the tempo for your life? Here's the thing with rhythms. Here's the thing with that. It's, it doesn't just happen. It's not like, think of it like a house. You don't just like set a house there, right? It's usually one brick at a time. And when we say yes to Jesus, we're not automatically done. It's saying yes to a life of becoming more and more like him. That's what I was getting at earlier. It's one thing at a time of saying, all right, God, I'm giving this part over to you. And this, this is all becoming more and more like you. It's one brick at a time. So what part of your life needs to move to the rhythm of Jesus? What brick can you give over to him this week, this month, this year? Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rhythm. What, what rhythm is Christ calling you to be more like him? What rhythm is he challenging you in? I encourage you guys, as my mom would say, Let's walk with the king, make him our rhythm, bring him alongside us throughout the day, walking with us, being our rhythm of life, letting him set our tone. Let's walk with the king and be a blessing. Pray with me.